you know, me and Hakim were talking about height and how people from different countries usually look like uh, and how we are gradually getting taller, et cetera, et cetera. But that made me think of this point, what was it, like three or four days ago, where I received something which I don't necessarily know if I should take as a compliment or not. I was with like this international group of people, some Russians, Ukrainians, two British dudes, uh, yes, kill me, uh, and myself at, at this bar. And the bar was closing, and the lady was walking around telling everybody that uh, we're about to close in five to ten minutes. And there's these two like extremely British-looking uh, dudes, but more like Chav-style British-looking, you know, lots of tattoos, uh, lots of like, oh, my God, I obviously go to football matches or whatever type of vibe. Very <laughs> nice boys, though, a bit younger. I think they were like 23, 24. Uh, yeah. And they, they, you know, saw us in the bar. They came. We started talking about po politics, like always after the fucking mm -hmm. third drink, blah, blah, blah. But the lady comes and she's like, okay, you guys need to leave. And for some reason, <laughs> she looks at them and starts speaking to them in the, so don't uh, show my geopolitical location, but in the Slavic language of, of the country mm -hmm. I'm currently in. And she turns mm -hmm. around to me and tells me in English that we're closing. And tell me, <laughs> should I should, should I have felt a compliment that uh, you know this internalized uh, uh, bigotry that uh, all of us <laughs> possess? That you know, oh, I was considered to be a Westerner, an English speaker, while these civilized Britons were uh, mm -hmm. confused for a local Slavic orc. I mean, <laughs> I really don't know how to take it. <laughs> it's a, I mean, she saw you're beautiful and she's like, hey, these parts, they don't get enough nutrition <laughs> for symmetrical growth. I'm sorry, I'm teasing. She was like, oh, this guy's too nice to be from around here, so she probably yeah, should yeah. speak in English to him. You probably oh. tipped, that's why. <laughs> like, <laughs> Actually, yes, unironically. Yeah, that's yeah. probably why. That's probably why. Oh, man. No, uh, has that ever happened to me? Um, actually, no, sometimes I'm abroad, uh, and on occasion people will come up to me and speak to me in, in, in Arabic, but whenever I'm in like Turkey or something, people speak Turkish with me. So, um, yeah, and until I look at them, I'm like, I don't, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I, uh, <laughs> I, I have no fucking idea what you're saying. I don't speak your Mongol language. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing for t to the Turks. Uh, no, that, that's, a, that's such a thing. Like the other day also, I'm going into the supermarket. And a person from like a third Slavic country, also in the Balkans, uh, is trying to talk to the lady also, but she speaks a different Slavic language. And he's like, do I need to bring the beer bottles back if I take them? Because some shops have that policy. Mm. You have to bring mm. them back or environmentally friendly, but mostly because it's uh, they get money from the state for collecting the bottles. And she was like, no, no. And I'm standing behind him and I speak both of the those different Slavic languages. And I go up to, to guy from Slavic country number one and I tell him in his language what she just told him and that it's absolutely fine. And I try to tell him that hey i'm actually more from that part of the balkans where you're from <laughs> but because the languages are at the same time very simple and yet very different he just thought that i was speaking to him in slavic language number two so he just thought i'm like okay a nice local that's like uh mm. speaks a bit of his <laughs> own language and i yeah. tried to actually start up a conversation be like oh man i don't see guys from that part of the balkans here very often duh, 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 duh. and the dude just uh, like turned around and started walking <laughs> away and i was like i'm oh, fucking me oh, man dick. Uh, but, no, but dick. if he if you realize I'm from the same part He would have lost his shit Like in a very nice way But exactly Fucking piece of shit dick He was like Ah just another fucking local And just uh, mm. 
walked mm-hmm. off. There's something that when we're tourists or when yeah. we're somewhere when we're not usually this like sort of cocky, uh, cocky shit that uh, goes into us. Like we're, oh, I am here to give your community money and visit your uh, monasteries and mosques and beautiful mm-hmm. uh, hills. But uh, <laughs> but I am not one of you. Remember that, peasant. I don't know what's up with that. Yeah, no, I, I completely get it. But yeah, hey, it's it's always. I wonder what JT would be taken for when he's abroad. <laughs> no, I just, I just, I generally do wonder uh, because not like you can usually spot. I don't know, like in your part of the, you can always spot an American, right? It's always yeah. it's a clear oh, day. Yeah. It's a clear day. <laughs> like okay, we're loud where I come from, but Americans are loud, loud. Like <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, and they're too friendly. That's also something I noticed. They're they're too friendly. Oh, and on the occasion you see somebody like absolute stupidity. I I think I mentioned this story earlier on the podcast, but um. I was in an, a neighboring country, uh, and a uh, lady was at an ATM, uh, and she was trying to get money out of the ATM, and it had several languages, of which one of the languages was English, but they used the British flag. And she was, like, clicking through <laughs> yeah, this, and she's like, they, she's like, they don't have this machine, there's something wrong, they don't have American. I'm like, oh, oh no, oh, no. <laughs> people, people will think I'm making this shit up. I am not making this shit up. Oh my god! I always shell shock Americans because there's even some like military bases, some military dudes or whatever, and some of my other international friends hang out with them, blah blah blah, and we get into like a room together or a bar together, and I treat them like normal human beings. Sometimes, actually, when they're military, I treat them a bit passive aggressively, if you know what I mean. And, <laughs> and and they actually super warm up to me because they're like, "Dude, thank you for like talking to me like a person." Because everybody's like, "Oh my god, Americans, such a cool, liberating place." Man, I want to meet them, and everybody's like kiss ass as fuck. I I doubt that happens in Iraq because of the war. (laughs) So, in this, like, this relatively apolitical on an international stage country that I'm at, Mm -hmm. there's there's still this leftover feeling that oh my god, uh, uh, they are so interesting and cool and so open minded. Let's actually poke at them, and sometimes they actually are, which is absolutely fine. But you see what happens? It starts irritating the the people from said country. Because, uh, you know, they end up only being, ah, the American, ah, the Russian, ah, the mm. Iraqi, ah, the Chinese dude. Like, they're, they're not uh, Tom. Like, I want to get to know Tom and not only the <laughs> American. Uh, and it does get tiring, me as an immigrant myself, the way I differentiate who's like actually likes me, likes me and is a very close friend and who uh, isn't really is the guy who treats me as Yugopnik, not Yugopnik mm. from country A that's all these stereotypes that now he needs to perform in front of <laughs> us uh, in order to be validated, et cetera, et cetera. It's a nice little way to filter out people that actually give a fuck about who you are versus people who you want to have a token friend from that place because it sounds interesting <laughs> at dinner parties, you know, ooh. Talk to us about you... this that happened to you, man. <laughs> oh, Hakim, Hakim, come, come to our fancy dinner party. So, Hakim, how was it when the bombs were falling right next to your house? Please you know, I've tell had us people, about yeah. that. There are people with no, with absolutely no fucking chill. There are people with no, with no. What do Americans say? Tact. Yeah, and then they they ask stupid shit, and it's like, why? I'm not here to fucking entertain your white ass about this. My God, but yeah. Um... Uh, it's always interesting. It's always interesting when an American asks you that. By the way, it's like, well, why are you? Why do you have such morbid curiosity about what your country did to mine? Um, but yeah, it's all right. It's, it's true, yeah. true. But isn't there like props where props should be given? I don't know how it is in uh, like uh, in your part of the world. Or please tell us in comments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and emails, we get very cool ones. 
uh, where it is, how it is in different parts of the world. But for, for I would say even all of Europe, but let's talk about Eastern Europe. All wars are taken extremely personally, and people yeah, will yeah. say, and people will say, we were the wrong side in that war, but I will not talk shit against my people yeah. because they had to make some hardcore decisions back then, and yeah. I will not soil my flag, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the Americans, to an extent, and I'm giving props at least, there is a very large... Uh, wing of their population, which are mm. very, very aggressively uh, and verbal, very ag verbally aggressive in their assertion that a lot of the things yeah. that their state has done are fucking horrifically disgusting, yeah. which interestingly enough doesn't really happen all over the world. So uh, yeah. it, it's the thing is, it's true. No, I agree with you. Yeah, it, it is a that is an interesting thing to note. But also, like in my where I come from, where you come from, um, the sense of identity is very intrinsically connected to these political wars and whatnot, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, oh, if we don't fight back, then we'll be like, <laughs> there won't be Bostonians <laughs> anymore. Like that's what I mean, yeah. right? Oh. Um, but Americans, it's not like this. Americans are very disconnected from the wars they fight. Um, even World ah, War II was incredibly disconnected. Good. They had one attack on their soil. Otherwise, you know, so that they can afford to be a little bit more critical or not to, you know. Their material the reality of... wasn't changed by the war as much. Yeah, there we go. Okay. There you go. The, so, the mm, Marx yes, is screaming is, out of the team. It cannot, it cannot hold is, itself in. <laughs> yeah, go on, go on. This is a Marxist podcast. Mm. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, exactly right. So that's why... Um, uh, and, and even then, like on the other, like not not to be a dick about it, but on the other side, you do have lots of Americans who are like, oh, you know, uh, that probably wasn't the best thing, but still, oh, so I thank you for your service, support yeah, the troops, yeah. uh, you know, I kneel for the, the flag. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, so um, hey, you know what? If you're anti-war, you're cool with me. That's a, that's how it should be. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, the communist movement is an internationalist one, and as long as you're not a reactionary fucking monkey ass piece of shit do not give us flying fuck where you're from yes no war but the class war my friends and welcome back everybody to the program uh, today jt is also not with us he is still sick but hopefully, inshallah, he'll be uh, back with us for the next episode. He's feeling much better. Don't you worry about him. Send him much love. Uh, people on the Discord, people on the subreddit. We see that y your well wishes, and he thanks you very much profusely. Um, but yeah, he'll, he'll be back soon. Don't you worry. Um, today's episode, uh, to detract from the, the, the uh, heaviness of the episodes that are upcoming, uh, is a bit on more on the lighter, sa lighter side. That's what we call the absolute mad lads. Um, today, we're going to be talking about episodes from different revolutionary histories in which people were just absolute chads. Uh, basically, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the what's it called? The, um, yeah, the Madlas. You know, the ch what's it called? The Chad music. The um, uh, what the fuck was it called? You know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I have no idea, my friend. <laughs> oh come on! The, dun, dun, you know what dun, they're talking dun, about? The music, the Chad dun, music. Dun, yes, dun. the music with what? The Chad's uh, National Symphony. <laughs> Okay, whatever. The people listening know what I'm talking about. It's these are the stories that should that music should be the background for these stories. Anyways, uh, I'll hand it off to you, Gopnik, to to start to start us off with our first absolute Chad or absolute Sigma Chad. Um. Yeah, the, the Chad to uh, give birth to the ideology of ultimate Chads together with his uh, fellow Sigma. Uh, <laughs> They're both on their grind set. <laughs> <laughs> They're 
this thing was on the grind. Exactly, Mar Mar Marks and Engels always been on the grind side. But uh, so yes, the 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 Chad to give birth to all Chads in his eternal marriage with uh, his uh, true ideological wife uh, Engels, Karl Marx, <laughs> who in my modest opinion was the definition of what an insane mad lad is before the term mad lads even existed. Like this dude managed to change history, obviously together with Engels, uh, and yet lived such a lifestyle that would shock even the likes of me, okay? So <laughs> let's start kind of from the, from the beginning uh, where like many students uh, before and since, uh, Marx spent his first year at university in Bonn in 1835, literally soused in alcohol. At this stage, he was still an aspiring poet, and he joined the so-called Tavern Club. Yes, the Tavern Club and the University Poetry Club, uh, <laughs> of which he later became president, if many of you probably don't know that. He grew a beard, so... Back even in university days, he had a beard. That's why whenever people see the shocking photo of Marx without the beard, it's like, oh, my God, this ideology literally would be nothing if a guy that looks like that actually was proposing it. <laughs> but uh, he, he even back then wore his uh, uh, curly hair very long, and he started smoking in uni, uh, which is bad kids. Don't do that. So at various points that year, he was cautioned and nearly arrested for brandishing a pistol, uh, and he was kept overnight in uh, in prison for drunken rowdiness and got himself <laughs> mixed up in saber duels against rival <laughs> clubs. Okay, now they organize <laughs> debates. This dude fought people with swords in fucking uni. So in his first university, which we mentioned, which is Bonn, he only lasted two terms after he was injured above the eye in what again a drunken duel his exacerbated parents pulled him out of bonn and sent him to like a more serious university of as most of you know of berlin where again he joined the posse of young hegelians in the so-called doctors club which was very famous around the city back then so shortly after his graduation and uh, his move to London, the Metropolitan Police, and I'm not kidding you, <laughs> pursued him through the streets of London, somewhat worse for wear, following a particularly exuberant pub crawl. In 42, <laughs> I think, when... Uh, yeah, when Marx, 42 or 41, 42, when uh, Marx and Engels actually met briefly, uh, neither of them actually really, you know, got it off with each other. <laughs> Yet, when they renewed their acquaintance two years later in a now legendary evening in Paris in August of 1844, their conversation, listen to this, their conversation <laughs> lasted for 10 intense <laughs> red wine-fueled days and nights during oh which God. they forged one of the history's most memorable friendships. And although inseparable, they had their differences. Engels led a much healthier lifestyle, while <laughs> Marx was very well known for just passing out on the sofa and failing to write for several days until he recovered <laughs> from his hangovers. So all I'm saying is that 
Hakim, this is literally me, you, and JT. I'm like one extreme. <laughs> You're the other with obviously our boy JT balancing at, us out real nice. Exactly. Uh, he's but, the glue that keeps the yin and the yang together. <laughs> exactly. He, he's, the, he's, the, he's like Marx's wife uh, or like uh, the sofa, which we mentioned. Mm. He's, he's, uh, he's Freud's... Uh, yeah, Freud's. Uh, fuck Jesus fucking Christ! His angle says uh, money. <laughs> they got them, yeah. Okay, I'm overdoing it. Not the relationship oh was God. much stronger than just the money. Mm-hmm. But all I want to okay. all I want to say before we start commenting on this insanity, uh, which was Karl Marx in his personal life, I, we need to always remember that all men are men, and even those who <laughs> change the fate of history forever had mm-hmm. lived lives surprisingly similar to many of us today. They sinned, they forgave, they were forgiven, and they puked Mm. at the side of the street. So please, kids, don't (laughs) take yourself too seriously because not even Karl Marx did. (laughs) No, for sure. I was going to say, you know the thing you mentioned about him when he'd sleep on the sofa and whatnot? Um, The secret police, I think this was when he was still in Germany, and uh, they were tailing him, right? They were observing him. And they, there's commentary on, on his work ethic, right? And they'd be like, hey, this is the strangest man I've ever seen. He'll be like he'll be like drunk in a couch for like seven days straight. <laughs> and then all of a sudden for two weeks, he'll do nothing but work like tirelessly night and day. Like not get any sleep. He'll just be working, working, working. And then he'll just go back. <laughs> being like fucking passed out that, that's literally me working on the podcast or the youtube or the youtube channel but it's just it's just yeah what extreme to the other. okay not to the levels of marx and whatever compare himself <laughs> to but uh, i mean like as a man-to-man comparison not like an achievement but you i don't know don't worry the people get it uh but what was i gonna say nothing is i wanted to compare myself in achievement i don't want to compare myself <laughs> by drinking man i never pass out the fucking marx was such a pussy ass bitch man fucking learn how to drink motherfucker i'm kidding i'm kidding oh, but have you you're probably twice the size of marx he was not a big guy yeah 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 <laughs> i definitely uh, am actually <laughs> but, but what was i gonna say another one another episode of uh, like i think this was also I think this is also when he was still in Germany. Uh, but yeah, he would go on pub crawls and he would do this thing where he would take stones and he'd throw them at like the, the, the street lights and yeah. shit or like a window. <laughs> he'd just be a piece of shit. He'd just vandalize. He vandalized <laughs> like, all the time. Yeah. When they would mistreat yeah. him at pubs, he would uh, like exiting, he would take a shit right in front of their, their entrance. Yeah. Uh, and oh then God. the next people that were exiting would c- complain to the pub owner about... Uh, about the shit at the entrance, <laughs> thinking that you know the pub owner didn't do their job to clean the fucking thing. Yeah, he he just fought everybody. He was a very passionate man. Do you know something? I like it's so hard to actually because when you read his, the literature that he put out, the, the work that he did, it's so impressive. But then you see what kind of a guy he was sometimes. Like and he had other issues, man. Like he had him and his fucking carbuncles and shit. He yeah. <laughs> he had Fuck. carbuncles all over his ass, so he couldn't ever fucking. He was he, always like perpetual. Yeah, he owed so much uh, money all the time that his wife referred to their like broker, the guy you take gold to, to give you some money in return, uncle. Like they became friends yeah. because he would just yeah. hang out at that guy's place all the time. But but exactly, and then you read the literature. But we need to. It's not that. Marx was, or some other leaders, uh, reader, uh, some other writers that had similar lifestyles, that uh, they w- w- were impressive for uh, this dichotomy which exists between their writing mm. and their mm. thoughts and their lifestyle. We need to remember, like, everybody has their own peculiarities. There's, there's yeah. no leader, poet, writer, artist that 
leads the lives that most of us are taught to believe because, I don't know, fucking stereotyping what it takes to be a successful man, which actually capitalism influences a lot by showing us these fucking CEOs that wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning and douse themselves in like minus 70 water because it mm. purifies <laughs> the mind or some fucking yeah. insane ass shit like that. I was gonna say um, also uh, like not to not to mention uh, just like Marxist escapades, but uh, the true MVP of m- m- Marxism entirely uh, is not Marx, is not Engels, it's Yeni we- uh, Westphalen, which is Marx's wife. Because not only did she keep this man on track, <laughs> we all yeah. need a Yeni Westphalen in our life. Not only did she keep this man on track, but also uh, she took care of him in his like chronically sick state. He was always he was always sick. Um, marks, uh, especially with like annoying derm, uh, dermatological shit. Um, not only this, not only through poverty and whatnot, but most importantly, his handwriting, which even me as a doctor, I'm like, what the fuck, dude? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I have chicken scratches, but this is literally, no, look it up. Everybody go right now and Google Marx's handwriting. If you're able to decipher a letter, a fucking letter, then you win the game. All right. This woman, this absolute angel somehow could not only read his uh, handwriting, but would transcribe everything he wrote. So that's how we ended up getting everything. That's why, by the way, um, you need to be a specialist to actually engage with Marx's original manuscripts because you need to learn his fucking the weird way that he would write. So yeah, that's um, that's another uh, just a, a little tidbit. But yeah, so Marx was a absolute Sigma Chad, right? He's like Absolute Sigma Mad Rule two hundred and six. When you're kicked out of a bar, shit on the doorstep. Yeah. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dude would be like a hardcore frat boy, man. Like, yeah. like literally. I don't know know why. Yeah. Do you know what the weirdest thing is? Like he would be the type who would be like chronically obsessed with some like with Fortnite or something nowadays. Uh, I don't know. I get the vibe that he'd be yelling slurs or something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, I don't know why that's just the vibe I get nah, nah, nah. He depend, depends on what stage of life he is in but I have yeah, a yeah. couple of friends that are like uh, like this in his like 30s 25 to 35 he'd be the dude that like always goes on these rants when you go out and you're just trying to have a nice time but then vodka number 4 kicks in and this surrealist discussion of existence just pops up in their fucking head <laughs> and then you're listening and it's actually interesting but like Marx dude let's just do shots and dance <laughs> to techno man like I can't even hear you you've been talking to me for 40 minutes but the fucking MDMA has hit you like an hour ago and you've literally <laughs> just been saying blah, blah, blah. like the fuck dude you know that that's that's what I'm imagining and, and like he has like this massive uh, like 20 years ago blog but now he's like the like kind of like Matt Crispin from Chapel he has like Twitter followers out the arse and he's so bored with the the the, the, the insanity which is Twitter that he is just shit posting on a daily yeah. basis at this point. Yeah, he'd be he, just, yeah. but I, I, honestly though I think Lenin would be a better shit poster. But we'll get to this. We'll get to this. Oh yes, yes, um. yes. Lenin would be so passive aggressive, <laughs> okay. man. Jesus Christ that man. I love it. Oh <laughs> my like, god that man. man. I think <laughs> that like man? Marx would have liked Lenin and Lenin would have liked yeah, Marx, yeah, yeah. but they would have gotten into fights like all the like physical fights oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, with yeah. sabers because knowing Marx he will pull out a fucking saber. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Loki though Lenin would body Marx. I'm sorry to say, Yanni. Like, okay, they're they're a similar weight class, 
But the, uh, you know, I can talk about the athleticism of, of, of uh, Lenin. How about this? Um, there's a few stories I have compiled about Lenin. Um, I'll, I'll give you two because he's a, his entire life is very interesting. If you're interested to learn more, um, Krupskaya, his wife, wrote uh, Reminiscences of Lenin, which is like 700 pages, but it's very, very good. It's a very human biography uh, of Lenin uh, written by someone who loved him. So it's a, it's a lot more, you know, By personal. the way, like, that's such a mad lad thing to fucking do. You, you, you have such a great relationship with your wife that she ends up writing a 700 book, of, <laughs> 700 page yeah. book about you. Like, yeah. talk about goals. It's insane, yeah. You know, by the way, I, this is like this is just a complete side point, but there's some historian shit which is like, oh, it's a marriage of convenience because, you know, there are exiles and all that shit. If you see the way that Krupskaya wrote about Lenin and how protective Lenin was over Krupskaya, they were clearly in love. They This was not, you know, right? And it's like, oh, but they didn't have children. Krupskaya couldn't have kids. <laughs> That's why. They always wanted to have kids. That's why she supported orphanages. That's why they kept, they would, they would elect to babysit their comrades kids and shit um like yeah that's a that's a sad aspect of that story so many uh, but also yeah, historic revisionist yeah. bullshit yeah yeah but anyways uh there's there's two stories the first one i'm gonna talk about fucking the the absolute uh chad lennon okay um he's uh, the the uh, solitariat <laughs> lennon there's a story it for all oh, just uh, so people know lennon throughout his entire life was incredibly athletic he would enjoy swimming he would uh, enjoy uh, jogging he would very much enjoy hunting in fact most of the time that he would spend uh, in exile uh, when he was in prison excuse me not in exile when he was in prison uh, after he would get out and he would be like you know basically what was equivalent of a gulag in, in siberia um because this the gulag system evolved out of the you know the tsarist prisons but then it was changed in the soviet times blah blah, blah. but just so you know that they some form of that existed also in Tsarist times that's where they originated and they were less like uh, single prisons where you're behind bars and more like a very small town in the middle of Siberia um, so they're like guards and everything but you can like go out and just kind of live life I guess uh, and that's why it was very easy for them to always escape uh, and he would escape and then he would just go to some town he'd be in some like little hamlet in, 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 in Siberia and he'd spend most of the days either reading writing and then afterwards in the evenings he'd go for walks he'd go for a swim and in the mornings he'd go uh, hunting um, and uh, when he was in exile one uh, episode of history was uh, there was a man named uh, Nikolai Valentinov who was a, um, a strong man. So basically like a uh, bodybuilder of the era. Uh, and he, him and Lenin met uh, in 1904 in Geneva. And uh, Valentinov himself was a uh, like a politically involved with, this, with the movement. Um, and in 1904 was the first time he was met Lenin. And to quote... He was immediately impressed by his fellow Bolsheviks' muscular build and his interest in all forms of sport and physical exercise. <laughs> Lenin, when he heard that Valentinov had once been a champion small weightlifter, <laughs> exactly Swolteriot. Lenin, when he heard that Valentinov had once been a champion weightlifter, insisted that he demonstrate the proper ways to lift weights. Lacking equipment, Valentinov used one of the Ulyanov household brooms to make his point. Ulyanov is the actual name of of, of Lenin. Um, yep. Lenin is his uh, nom de guerre. Anyways, um, <laughs> Lenin then replicated the moves with a broom, much to the amusement of his mother-in-law. And then to quote. Lenin, don't disturb us, was Vladimir Ilyich's response to our laughter. We are engaged in very important business. <laughs> so uh, look at the absolute, it's two chads. They come and they meet each other and they immediately start admiring each other's physiques. It's like, I like your pecs, bro. This is important business. <laughs> And then immediately is like, hey, how do you get that? You know, how, the, how do you get the second, the second head of the, you know, how do you get the trap looking like that? And he's like, let me show you. Absolutely. What a, what a beautiful, beautiful uh, episode of history. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, something. And by the way, this was noted even to his old age. He would work out until he got his strokes and he couldn't wa um, walk anymore. Um, so it's something to learn from, from uh, uh, Lenin. Uh, oh, by the way, also. Fantastic. Yeah, go on. 
Uh, sorry, um, there's another thing is um, that uh, Lenin also would uh, very much enjoy gymnastics and he would pride himself that he would do minimum 10 minutes every day of calisthenic exercises uh, at home. So imagine this dude, he's writing State of the Revolution and he gets up and he starts fucking doing gymnastic flips. <laughs> he sits back down to writing like, uh, but yeah, um, I, I understand why Kripskaya loved him. Uh, I would too. Um, but yeah, also he, he would uh, do something else, which I personally am a fan of. He would try to do exercise in, um, what's it called? Like household chores, um, like polishing floors and like, and, and cleaning and shit like that. He would try to, you know, work up a sweat that way. Um, which I think is also very neat. He would always keep his like cell, cell room incredibly like uh, pristine. Um, and he would hide, uh, little notes that he would, um, try to basically sneak out to get messages to other people. Um, he would write them as he was exercising. So people, they won't get a second thought. They just look at him doing push-ups. But uh, yeah, he's uh, writing actually while he's doing the push-ups. Very interesting. You know, um, he would have one of those standing desks right now. A standing desk yeah, with, oh my uh, God. with a treadmill right underneath. You know, he would have a Fitbit. <laughs> yeah, like like waking up, waking up at five thirty a.m. to to work mm. out before his first writing session. Uh, <laughs> but right before he starts exercising, he hears some fucking drunk puking in front mm. of his fucking building, and he comes out and it's marks. And they're like, "I'm on the fucking, I'm trying to sleep." And he's like, "Shut oh, the man. fuck up, you bitch!" And end up changing oh, the world forever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Lenin gets up at five a.m. to work out. As, as Mark Mark's is just drunkenly stumbling. Yeah. Back in. Literally like the two of us, like fuck me. Okay. Oh my god, I love it. Yeah. Hey, dude, I don't do that shit anymore. I did that in in uni. The fucking getting up early to work out. I don't know where I got the energy, man. I don't. I generally do not know. Now I want to fucking kill myself. I like night workouts. Now I'm a, you know. Um. But yeah. Anyways, uh, I used to make my own fucking like protein bars and shit. Fuck me, dude. You have so much energy in uni for. Right, I, I say that like I'm so fucking old now, but anyways, um, there's another story that I'd like to, to add about this absolute chat of human being. For those who are unaware, um, uh, there was, I don't remember what year this was now, but I'm sure you're familiar with the picture of, of uh, Lenin when he shaved his beard. Fuck, and now I don't remember. I think this was, he was bef this was before he moved to Finland. So this was in the early 10s. So like, I think 1912 or something like that, 1914, around there. <clears throat> Somebody will probably correct me. Uh, anyways, uh, so uh, he was just vibing in a, in a hut in the middle of fucking uh, Russia and it was raining down like a lot. Um, he was of course uh, trying to be, he was running away from the law basically. And he was in some small hut somewhere, uh, just vibing. Um, it was raining very heavily. And then all of a sudden he starts hearing outside there's a lot of cursing and shit like that. Um, a lot of cursing, as I say, and shit like that. <laughs> Sorry. But um, he goes, he picks out the hut, and he sees that it's a Cossack was walking along, and uh, he sees Lenin, right? Uh, this Cossack walks up to Lenin, and he's like, hey, could I, uh, could I please get some shelter and, like, wait until the rain passes? Because uh, I don't know if you've seen rain in... in uh, I don't know how rain is in, like, the United States or other parts of the world, um, but in several parts, of it's like, in certain altitudes, for example, it rains, it, like, fucking rains, right? I'm sure some people in the subcontinent know monsoon rains, for example, like, that kind of rain. Um, in, some, in some parts of Russia, they get, like, heavy rain like that. So, basically, it becomes entirely mud. It becomes, like, a, you're, you're walking through a little, like, a lake. Um, so, he's like, yeah, can I please get in your hut just to um, chill from the rain? And Lenin's like, yeah, sure. Um, I'm not gonna say no to this guy. He's armed. So, yeah, please. Nah. Please make yourself at home. So they sit together and they're just, uh, you know, um, uh, waiting for the uh, rain to die down. And then Lena asks him, this cause, I was like, why are you out here in the middle of nowhere? I'm in, like, I'm in, in Iraq, we say bitchod. <laughs> this means literally like in the sticks, I think is what Americans say. Yeah. Absolutely in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and the Cossack tells him we're on a manhunt. Yeah, the Cossack tells him we're on a manhunt. Sorry. Yes, in the sock. Uh, the Cossack tells him he, we're on a manhunt where, where there's a bounty. Uh, and he was after some guy named Lenin. 
<laughs> oh my god! Lennon, oh, come on. <laughs> he oh. tells the Cossack tells Lennon. He's like, we're looking for a guy. Um, he has uh, he has a bounty on his head. His name is Lennon, uh, and our instructions were to bring him back dead or alive. <laughs> <laughs> Lennon's looking at this dude, and he's and he's like, okay, um, what has this Lennon character done exactly? Why why is he? Why does he have a you know? And the Cossack just basically kind of waved his hand and was like, ah, yeah, we don't really like you know. Uh, he didn't give him details. He was just like, oh, um, uh, this guy was bad, right? He was dangerous, uh, and he needs to be getting gone rid of. That's basically what we let him know. Uh, so uh, Lennon, you know, he makes small talk with the guy, and some some time passes, and the rain finally relaxes. Um, and this cause I was like, okay, I'm gonna go go on my search now again. Uh, and Lennon thanked him uh, for like the uh, what's it called for the company, and the guy thanked him for the hospitality. And then they went to their uh, separate ways. <laughs> Afterwards, Lennon contacts the central committee, and he was like, hey, um, uh, so this happened, <laughs> and then that was their their, their decision then to move to to Finland. Finland at the time was part of Tsarist Russia. Yeah, uh, but it was it, they didn't have the same. Uh, uh, like secret police system, you could get away with more in Finland than you could get um, in, in in Russia. So that's why uh, afterwards he moved um, there. Uh, but uh, so that was a very interesting and very long drawn um, story to basically uh, say that uh, Lenin was an absolute chad. And this was not the only time this has happened. He's had several episodes like this, um, especially when when he ran away from 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 prison. For example, one of my favorite stories of him is uh, the reason Kripskaya and uh, and Lenin got married was because they had forged papers that said they were a married couple. But then they ended up actually getting married. They ha- they went and they they had their their ceremony in a church uh, and everything. Like they they properly got married. Um, and then <laughs> I just <laughs> just so that the forged papers would be like, oh yeah, they're actually legit. Uh, but yeah, I I, I find that. Um, uh, interesting. He's probably had many episodes in his life where he was questioned, and uh, through sly word of mouth, he uh, uh, he got out of it. But um, so that's our, our absolute our, our boy uh, Lennon. Absolute fucking unit, man. Imagine <laughs> uh, going through that sort of weather, and then you fall, yeah. uh, and then you just see this a- absolute other unit. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know if people know what like Cossacks look like, but those are some terrifying motherfuckers. And he uh, enters, you know, uh, the same space in which you're at, and then tells yeah. you that he's literally looking for you to murder you cold-bloodedly. And yet you sleep through the night, you keep your fucking cool, and you continue your life. And oh my God, in what way do you continue your life? I, I wonder if that uh, Cossack was alive, like, I don't know, many, many decades later and uh, saw the uprising and some posters on the wall and was like, oh my <laughs> fucking God, dude. <laughs> fuck That's me, dude. What the <laughs> fuck did I do, dude? Uh, and like a revolution is towards the end and he's captured, about to be executed by, by the Reds. Because he fought on the side mm-hmm. of the whites, for example, maybe. Hey, you never uh, know. And then he's maybe, like, maybe, maybe guys, don't shoot me. I literally know Lenin, man. I literally kind of, in a way, <laughs> saved Lenin's life, if you get my point. And there's a telegram <laughs> sent over to, to Lenin. They're like, there's some fucking Cossack. And he's not even a red Cossack, a, a white Cossack. And he's telling us he saved your fucking life. Why would he ever do that? And Lenin's like, oh, my mm. fucking God. Yeah, actually, <laughs> like, let, let him go. It's fuck it, fuck it. Take his guns, whatever. Uh, six months prison, whatever. Imagine, imagine. That would be fucking hilarious. Absolute Chad. Please, take it away. Give us another absolute Chad of history. Uh, so, I can jump since we're, we're doing uh, specific people. Uh, I can talk about uh, the relatively controversial but still undeniably Chad person who is uh, Yossi Brostito. I also have two stories. Mm. Uh, one mm. of them relatively smaller than the other one but still equally as important and equally as ballsy. Uh, so, when he was visiting the White House in 1971, 
for diplomatic purposes, obviously, sat in the Oval Office, a place where nobody, and I mean nobody, is allowed to smoke, he unflinchingly took out a <laughs> cigar, not just a cigar, a Cohiba, which Castro regularly sent him for decades yeah. as a personal, personal symbol gift. of uh, brotherhood between the Yugoslav and Cuban people. And this absolute mad lad, this chunky <laughs> unit, lit this fucking cigar while TV cameras were recording live right in the middle of the Oval Office. Mm. There's Mind footage you, of it. <laughs> there's footage of it everywhere. Mind you, it, it, yeah, it wasn't yeah. just illegal to smoke in the office. It was illegal also to smoke Cuban cigars due to the embargo in general. So, I don't know, this is the equivalent of lighting up a joint almost in the eyes of the law. <laughs> a, a very, I don't know, politically directed joint, joint yeah. in that. But funny enough, like, uh, this should have been... When I think about it, at, at around the same time when Tito was selling the Yugoslav uh, space program to the U.S., mm. a lot of people don't know the story, but the, the space program basically didn't have jack shit and cost the Americans, I think it was two uh, years worth of GDP output, only to get you know <laughs> some fucking machines that spin in circles uh, like really quick. So uh, this man... Uh, he, he fucks you and then he fucks your wife and then he sits in your bedroom and he lights up a cigar and you're fucking allergic <laughs> to smoke. This is how uh, how much he really, really uh, liked rubbing it in. Uh, you missed, you, missed, you mm-hmm. missed the best part of that story. Which is? <laughs> when he, One of the uh, aides of, of uh, the, I think it was one of the American aides, like the translators, basically was, he, he went down to... Um, uh, to Tito, he like bent over. He's like, "Hey, uh, um, we're not allowed. There, there's no smoking allowed here." And this was right before he was about to light the cigar. And he looks at him. He is like, "Oh, is that so good for you?" And he lights <laughs> yeah, the cigar. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, there's two, I've I've seen he said two things. One place I've seen that he said good for you, and another one he said bless you. And then he started. He's like, "Oh, is it bless you?" Bless. He lights. I don't know which was my favorite. Uh, it's oh, also, I guess, a metaphor for for broader Balkan uh, perspective towards no smoking areas. Like, sure, you oh, cannot yeah. smoke here. Uh, I, I look at me. Oh, oh my God! Oh, the cigarette is lighting by itself. Oh my God! There's smoke <laughs> coming out. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I can't. I thought I can't. But yeah, uh, for good or for bad. Uh, but but <laughs> but but later on, many many cigars later. Actually, funny enough, like this is a side story. But uh, there's a myth that when his uh, doctor told him, uh, "Yo, dude, you're very old. You shouldn't smoke as many cigars as you do now." And he was like, uh, okay, so uh, uh, what, uh, what should I do at, in the worst case scenario? And they were like, you, you smoke usually two, uh, two cigars a day. You need to cut it in half. So instead of cutting it to one cigar, because it was more of a process than it is about the cigar itself, he cut the cigars in half and still smoked his mm-hmm. two cigars. You know, he was always going to be <laughs> right. He was not going <laughs> to listen to the doctor. The doctor was like, smoke one cigar. He's like, no, I'll still smoke two cigars, but they'll be uh, two, uh, two times shorter. Uh, but many years later, uh, and Tito passed away, which led to one of the most uh, mad lad post-death uh, situations <laughs> that have ever been seen in history. So I'll quickly guide you through the day when Tito died. I even wrote this down. So on Sunday afternoon, 
Yugoslav television often broadcast like uh, association football games of the Yugoslav First League. And uh, on that day, there was a league match between Split, uh, in Split, between Hajduk Split and Crvena Zvezda. And when the match was in its 41st minute, three men entered the stadium pitch, signaling the referee to stop the match. The president of Hajduk, one of the two teams, took the microphone and announced Tito's death. What followed were sudden scenes of mass crying with some players, such as Latko Vujovic, literally collapsing down on the ground and weeping. Players of both teams and referees aligned to stand in a moment of silence. And once the stadium announced, uh, announcer said, may he rest in peace, the entire stadium of 50,000 football fans spontaneously started to sing the song, Comrade Tito, we swear to you, mm. from your path we will never depart. And his funeral, like imagine, like I, I'm getting yeah. goosebumps. Imagine that fucking yeah. scene. Uh, and it's not invented, there's literal footage of it, which I have mm. seen. And yeah. his funeral later became literally the largest state funeral of all time with a total, this is insane to me, of 128 out of the 154 UN member countries having a representative there with over mm. <laughs> half of those having literal heads of state or at the very yeah. least, uh, vice presidents or vice heads of state. From, I don't know, motherfuckers like Brezhnev to uh, yeah. the leader of China, I think it was uh, Guo Feng at that time, and to the likes of uh, monsters like Thatcher or uh, fucking Yasser Arafat, <laughs> who wasn't leading like a country per se. So just to make it more, more, more understandable, I, I really want to do this, about just how insanely many of the world's most powerful people came to your fucking funeral, my man. Imagine how many would have come if he made a second wedding. Uh, for one reason or another, foe or friend, let me just uh, dish this out super quick. So just to make it understand. So now we're talking about heads of state. Countries, Algeria, Austria, Bangladesh, Belgium, Bulgaria, Canada, Czechoslovakia, Ethiopia, Finland, Greece, Guinea, uh, Guinea-Bissau, Hungary, Iraq, Ireland, Italy, Jordan, Cyprus, North Korea, Democratic Kampucha, uh, Luxembourg, Mali, Malta, East Germany, West Germany, Norway, Pakistan, Panama, Poland, Portugal, Romania, San Marino, Soviet Union, Sweden, Syria, Tanzania, Togo, Zambia, Burma, Cape, uh, Cape Verde, China, Egypt, France, Ghana, India, Indonesia, Japan, Madagascar, Mongolia, Netherlands, Peru, <laughs> Spain, Turkey, United Kingdom, United States, Vice President, of course, uh, Yemen yeah, Arab course, Republic, yeah. Zimbabwe, and the list goes on and goes on and goes on. And if I had to list out the f- list with people who send ambassadors, it would take half of this podcast episode. <laughs> that is yeah. insane. For you to have left such a mark on the planet that... Every single of the most powerful people currently alive feel like they have to be a part of that pivotal historical moment which is putting you in the ground for one reason or another to me is is uh, is an incredible, incredible moment in human history. Yeah, the, the actual funeral, like watching, it's very touching. There's footage of it on YouTube. And you see, because they, they would do this in lots of socialist uh, country funerals, state funerals, they'd have like people passing by uh, like regular citizens and you can see just how affected these people are um and that you could see that they're what really touched me about is you see these old men 
who have their badges, who served with him against the fascist occupation. So these are people who fought alongside him, right? And they've lived like long, rich lives and they have like great grandkids and great grandkids now. And they've seen how much Yugoslavia has developed as a country, right? At the hands of Yanni, the, the, the people, the, the party, and of course, the Tito. Um, and just seeing him, like, like the entire image is, is so incredibly powerful. Um, it's it's a, a beautiful sight to see. Um, and the, the biggest shame, of course, is like what, 15 years later, um, the, the ethnic strife and all this reactionary garbage pulls this lovely country apart uh, to the uh, separate banana republics that currently exist. It's a yani. Uh, exactly. uh, the, the, the shame is, is even painful to, to utter, honestly. Cobra Tito, we swear to you from your path, we will depart, <laughs> unfortunately. <Yeah. laughs> But yeah, anyway, yes, do not push it to a, to a bad <laughs> note. Uh, if you're ever going to die, talk about a fucking great way to go. Uh, shoot us with something something more positive, comrade uh, Hakim. How about I tell people about, about Stalin's bank robbing? Fuck yes, I love this. I, this <laughs> okay. This actually right. happened. Like, that is, I don't, like, history is so fascinating. Uh, and people are so fucking insane. Yes. So, so For people, just sorry, sorry, sorry. Just to, 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 to revamp. Uh, one dude smoked in the fucking White House. Another dude was a fucking power lifter. Another dude was a mad lad fucking frat boy. And now we have a motherfucker that robs fucking banks. Okay? Every, everybody's life is multifaceted. If there's something that you should take out of this episode. And you live it your way, but also follow your passions. <clears throat> the fact that you're living it your way doesn't mean you can't follow your passions because, oh, there's one specific fucking thing that I have to do. I don't know, wear up, wake up in a fucking tuxedo in order to be a poet or some shit. But yes, mm. yes, please shoot us with the bank robber. All right. <laughs> okay, so this is like a, a bit of a long story, so I'm going to try to condense it and then give it a bit of structure. Um, and of course, one caveat is when you try to read about this a lot, there is some horrible historiography around this uh, event um, because for some reason there's like two sides there's one group that tries uh, like all the research on this is like by incredibly anti-communist um, uh, historians and on one side they're trying both of them are trying to make Stalin look really bad but one of them is trying to make Stalin look really bad by making him the the center you know figure and he's the one who like you know like specifically took the the money out oh the you know they tried to pull this like uh, scheming Jew like thing on on, on uh, Stalin despite him being Jordan like there's one aspect that tries this and there's another aspect was like oh no he had nothing absolutely to do with it he just took credit for it you know and it's very very weird so it's hard to actually compile a decent um uh, story but i'm gonna try to, to to present something for you guys so uh for um quite a while the uh, at the at the time it wasn't the the bolshevik party yet it was the russian social democratic labor party before it split into mensheviks and bolsheviks um they had issues with money they needed funding and they couldn't get it legally because the government uh like the tsarist government had basically made made it very very difficult for them to make, to raise funds so um a bunch of people uh including of course lenin and stalin and uh, uh, a bunch of other bogdanov and litvinov and these other people um they got together and they're like hey um how about we rob banks <laughs> <laughs> so already, you know, this is starting off on a good, uh, on a good, um, uh, what's it called, um, uh, foot. Um, but anyways, so uh, at first there was discussions within the party. Oh, should we do uh, these sort of actions or not? Um, some sections of the party were like, no, let's not do it. Some sections were like, yes. And th this was like a discussion that happened with the party. Anyways, so uh, eventually they, uh, a group within the Bolshevik party decides, hey, you know what? Let's go ahead with, with the bank robbery. Uh, or they called it, by the way, expropriations. They always had the, mm. um, these, these uh, <laughs> terms for the <laughs> they call them expropriations. Um, so... 
they got a bunch of people together, of course. Stalin was the guy who started organizing all of this, right? Stalin knew a lot of people. He was very well connected. Um, he got one guy um, that, by the way, officially, uh, his nickname was the Caucasian Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> but his, his actual nom de guerre was Kamo, um, who was the guy who was actually going to, like, uh, he was one of the main dudes who was going to carry this out, right? A bunch of other people, Bogdanov and Litvinov, who later on held uh, official positions in the Soviet government uh, as well. Um, they were planning uh, to uh, rob a um, bank in Tiflis, or now it's called Tbilisi. Back the back in the days, it was called Tiflis, which was the capital of Georgia, so um, Stalin's home home country. Um, this was around June of 1907. They had been planning this for several months at this point, right? Um, so uh, they start with, uh, you know, casing the joint, as they say. Um, Stalin makes contacts with people inside uh, the bank. He knows a bunch of people in the bank. He, some of them are school buddies that he went to. And uh, he uh, basically um, figures out oh, when, when things open, when things close, uh, who has the keys, who doesn't, all that kind of stuff. Right, Stalin specifically uh, picks out Kamo, this the the Caucasian uh, Robin Hood, um, who, by the way, was described by official police reports as a master of disguise, <laughs> if you could believe it. And um, uh, he was the one who was going to actually uh, protect the group. Um, and how was he going to do this? He was going to dress like an army, um, uh, an uh, what's it called, uh, a marine uh, commander. Basically, mm-hmm. like he's going to get a, a uniform and he's going to be the guy who's going to basically show up on the scene and tell them there's nothing going on. You like that, a, a police officer in the military that comes like everything's been sorted. Everything's being dealt with. So you guys can go back. Brilliant. <laughs> right. This is the, this is the guy. Right. Anyways. So uh, basically on the day of the robbery, it's around 20 guys. Uh, it's June 26, 1907, 20 guys. Uh, they meet at the square. Right. And then they notice why all of a sudden there's all these cops around. Turns out somebody kind of tipped them off. And then the, the, the absolute mad are like, you know what? We're going to go through with it. We don't give a shit. We're going to go through with it. Um, so they uh, to make a short story, a short, a long story short, excuse me. Um, a bunch of like homemade explosives are thrown. Some of them don't explode. Some of them kind of do. Um, Classic. Uh, in, the, <laughs> in, in the chaos, they go and uh, they basically rush into the bank um, and then they start taking money out. And they weren't really paying attention to the money they were grabbing. And this was really bad because, number one, um, they accidentally left like 20,000 rubles behind, which was a massive amount of money at the time. Um, not only this, but also they they took a huge amount of large bills, 500 ruble bills, of which the serial numbers are known to the to the government. So these bills were going to be useless. They wouldn't be able to use them. <laughs> but yeah, they got lots of uh, small bills as well. So a that big was big number good take. <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. but uh, they realized that oh shit, you know the, the the bombs we threw aren't exploding, and people are just kind of like dazed right now. So we need to uh, right. Um, so anyways, they go and uh, they, they go. They take out the money. They jump in a horse carriage, and then they start uh, driving off basically. Um, and then this. Um the Caucasian um, Robin Hood, he shows up and he's like, hey, yeah, uh, he comes in this uniform. He's like, hey, uh, we're, um, everything's fine to, to the cops and the military. You guys should uh, go back to where you came from. Uh, we're dealing with it right now. Um, now, here's what's interesting afterwards. This guy, Kamo, he was captured. Not only was he captured, he was sent to prison. He was the only one who was uh, tried and sent to prison. All the other ones got away with it. Um, when he was in prison, he feigned uh, insanity by doing stupid shit. Like he he would, uh, yeah, how, how a person feigns insanity, basically. Um, and uh, they brought like, uh, what's it called? A specialist from Germany and all that kind of stuff to, to uh, assess if he was actually truly insane. And they judged him that, yes, he was insane. Um, so uh, they let him out uh, peacefully. Uh, and he went on to rob more, uh, and then, and more then banks. they called him the insane Caucasian. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, I had to do. No, no, but yeah. no, hold on, hold on. 
he went he went on to go and rob even more banks afterwards finally in the 20s he was um uh, he uh, passed away uh, he by the way he was and then they called him the banks. dead Caucasian. okay I'm sorry. no 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 hold on, hold on. He, he he robbed more banks he was imprisoned again and in 1917 when the revolution happened he was freed and he was just vibing living his life and in 1922 he died because he was like just going for a joyride on his bicycle Stalin was literally like i remember my bros when i'm on top bro <laughs> exactly yeah, right. all, all, yeah. all, uh, everybody eats DJ Khaled, <laughs> Stalin. Uh, now, oh. now, hold on. You eat. Listen to how much of a chat, a chat he was. This guy, he dies in 1922, and the, the Soviets not only make uh, build a monument to him in the square where he committed the robbery, but they also <laughs> bury him in the square where he committed the robbery. <laughs> And he was there until I think the fifties or something, and then finally the when modern Georgia they removed the the, the um, what's it called the the monument. Um, but yeah, there's a very interesting story. Uh, maybe we should do like an actual episode on all the bank robberies that the the Bolsheviks did, uh, because they, there's an interesting story of how Lenin that. tried to get those five hundred ruble bills to be actually actually exchangeable, and he would basically hand off money to different Bolshevik people, uh, the Bolshevik uh, part, uh, members of the party, and they would go to Stockholm and Berlin and, and Geneva and all these different places trying to exchange them. And some of them would get arrested, some of them wouldn't. And what interests me is how international the movement was, especially compared to today, despite the fact that today we have a much larger ability to, to, to have an international movement. Back then, they would just be like, hey, yeah, you know you? Uh, go to Berlin. <laughs> and that's where Kama was arrested, by the way, the, the Caucasian Robin. He was sent to Berlin to try to exchange some, uh, some, some uh, what's it called, uh, some money. Uh, these 500 uh, ruble uh, bills and also he was there to buy more uh, explosives so that he could go and buy more <laughs> hello son more this, this unmarked but very marked 500 ruble yeah. bills can I exchange it please for something I can rob another bank with mm-hmm. uh, thank you very much yeah. I am from the Caucasus says, uh, another silly uh, note to, to connect with with uh, Lenin was uh, after Kama was arrested um, they would have had like a, a trail to, to Lenin uh, so Lenin uh, he uh, left uh, Finland at the time um, to to get away from the the Ukraine, the secret police that were looking after him, and he had to walk like I think like five or ten kilometers or something across some frozen lake in in, in Russia, and in during the trek the ice gave way, and Lenin fell. Lenin and a bunch of people with him fell underneath the, the ice, right? Um, and then they had to basically swim out and everything. And later on in his life, Lenin had uh, commented that he, he that was a, a stupid way to die. That's how he said. It. He was like <laughs> that would have been a stupid way to go. Um, so, um, but yeah. Anyways, yeah. So they went to Switzerland, whatever, and they tried. And then afterwards, they couldn't exchange the bills, so then they just burned them in a, in a big pile. And the actual exchangeable bills they could um, use. Um, as to the amount of money, I believe it it depends on where you're seeing the conversion. But I've seen as high as like three million dollars um, as the actual uh, what's it called. Um, amount at the end of the day um so that's a absolute mad lad um by the way if you're wondering what stalin's role was in all of this he was the organizer of all this and then i think he was also uh, uh helped uh, with the the getaway and everything like that um uh, so uh, yes all the all the revolutionaries who took part in that were absolute mad lads um and uh, <laughs> not something we recommend in modern day <laughs> revolutionary activity um but it's a very interesting episode of history nonetheless i would say it, it's it's so fucking wild and if you google actually simon camo's uh like uh, face he looks exactly what you expect him to be like this <laughs> yeah, mustache dude with beautiful voluptuous slick back hair and a really nice tight suit like like this dude robs banks like you meet him and he's like uh, hello uh, i am uh, i am what i am i am car mechanic you're like no you rob banks you'd most definitely <laughs> rob banks my friend uh, but uh but it's just incredible how how 
he rem- like the the government uh, remembered him even after all the wild shit he did. But I guess a lot of us have passions about things that might not co-align with our I don't know what would you call a moral compass, which again depends mm-hmm. on the system in which you're growing up in. Blah blah blah. We talked about this, but for example, I don't know. Uh, the the Caucasian was like, man, I really want to rob some motherfucking banks, but I'd feel shitty doing it. And then, you know, these communists come in like, you can rob banks, but for a cause. Oh, fuck yes. Yes. Okay, <laughs> let's fucking do this. <laughs> Let us fucking do this. Mm. So, uh, it, it, yeah, do you, maybe if you have some, uh, some things that are not necessarily uh, seen in a positive limelight uh, when it comes to doing them as an individual... In today's society, you never know. Maybe when it's done for for the right goal and with uh, the long term in mind, they uh, they will start making a lot more sense, and you will not lose a lot of sleep uh, about it at the evening. And to me, robbing banks at that time, uh, in order to uh, from already a insanely autocratic, uh, disgusting state, in order to to um, Supply money for for a revolutionary movement is a is an absolutely brilliant fucking mm. thing to do, yeah. and it is oh. insane that mm. there's no movies about this. Like I would make That's what I a super yeah. high budget film about this dude. Like yeah. and I would make it fucking Hollywood as fuck, uh, and like they can even do it. Okay, fucking pretend Stalin wasn't there, or like make him I don't know look uh, like he has three eyes or some shit. But make the movie. It would, it would be super fucking cool. Just, just a side note. In 1911, um, Stalin was arrested. He was arrested several times. Uh, but in 1911, he was arrested, and uh, they had, like, in the police report, and uh, they assumed that he had a part to play in it. And the police report, it states that when Stalin, when the robbery was going on, Stalin was on, like, the, the square where it happened. He was just chilling, leaning against a um, lightning pole, smoking a cigarette, just observing what was happening. That was just... <laughs> Just the image of that, especially if you know what Stalin looked like at the age, you know? Yeah. Um, he was a good-looking guy, by the way. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, you know, for... Like, you can't make absolutely. this shit up. Like, it's that good yeah. that you, you absolutely cannot. There's a bunch of other stuff in, in, in Stalin's uh, life. There was one time that he escaped from... Uh, what's it called? Uh, he escaped from a uh, from prison, and he basically broke into a manor of some some like rich dude, basically. Uh, and the the wife of the guy of the manor saw him, and she, she was like, "Hey, like, oh, what the fuck are you doing?" Blah blah. And then he basically explained to her what he was, and she was like, <laughs> "It's even like it's so ridiculous. It's like a it's like a James Bond uh, fucking story." Basically, they she sits, and then they end up chatting for quite a bit, and then she tells him like, "Oh, if you don't sleep with me, I'm gonna rattle. I'm gonna I'm gonna rat on you." So <laughs> basically. <laughs> he had to escape prison, and then so that so that she wouldn't call the police. Basically, had, anyways, so yeah. I mean, that's literal sexual weird. assault. Yeah, Stalin, I know. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah, it's it's oh, it's messed up, but wild. also it's almost like a James Bond fucking. Yeah, it is. It <laughs> right? is. It is. Yeah, it's messed up. I mean, Castro had episodes like this too. It's it's insane. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Right. I, I I can I can just quickly comment on that, and, it, and a lot of it is myth to an extent because I don't know, Hakim. To me, the numbers sound absolutely fucking insane. Some people say that Castro slept with up to thirty five thousand women. I, I like sex would get boring to me after. 
3,000 women. And I should know. I'm at 2,342, <laughs> I think it was. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm around oh, 500. Something. But yeah, uh, so, so I, I'm not sure if all of these stories like uh, make sense, but the ones that, I, that are, can literally be quoted and in typical Orientalist fashion, even quoted by Western sources, what I found is that we can say for sure that Castro really did have an intense sexual appetite. And this is according to a former Castro insider uh, working for the New York Post. Uh, the New York Post reported that Castro had sex with at least at least two women a day at lunch and dinner and sometimes even at breakfast. I never enjoyed morning sex. I don't know. I'm a night sex type of guy. <laughs> we're, we're all like the juices. I want I want us to have a fucking shower before we touch. And this can be a nice uh, conversation for later. Uh, additionally, a Vanity Fair reporter in 2008 revealed that he loved to flirt and littered his speeches with crude sexual induendos. Naughty, <laughs> naughty Castro. You wish would never do this. But when asked, and this is my favorite. This is why I wanted to talk about it. Listen to this. When asked how many children he had, he said, <laughs> well, uh, I don't have a tribe. Not that much. Fewer than a dozen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, I like, love not it. that much. It's not a tribe, yeah. man. Yeah, I have like 10, 15, but not a tribe. You know, it's... Absolutely fucking wild. Look, this is the beauty of the human condition, right? There are some people who are like this and there are other people. For example, like Lenin, who met his wife in 1893 or something, and he was basically faithful to her throughout his entire life. Um, except for some bullshit where people go, oh, in Paris he was with other than... No, no, that's all complete nonsense. Um, there's no actual evidence for that. Uh, but yeah, um, equally, uh, Stalin also was, you know, um, uh, Guevara uh, to, to Almeida, for example. Uh, there are many different examples of, you know, and the, 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 that's the... the yeah, like I said, the beauty of the human condition. There's exactly. some people who are Nobody's a bit. Passing there's some people who are dogs, <laughs> like Castro or Mao. <laughs> and you know, do you know my favorite story is, you know Ho Chi Minh? I yeah. love Ho Chi Minh. But when you look at him, he looks like such a sweet grandpa figure, right? He looks like the type of guy, he, he, he looks like he cooks good food, he tells good stories, and he's like the guy that you, that you give your kids to, um, like yeah. his grandkids, and he'll just look after them. He's like, you guys have your fun, right? Like to, to you know, <laughs> right? That, he's, he's like that type, right? But Ho Chi Minh laid pipe, my man. Ho Chi Minh <laughs> fucked. He fucked a lot. Apparently... <laughs> <laughs> like I don't actually do you know it's to the point that apparently actually it's very it's, hung I heard like very, yeah like apparently there's actually it's a it's sense skinny guys always sorry for that it's always the skinny guys it's always the skinny guys that have got a fucking third leg man oh my god <laughs> okay yeah. and you know it's actually a sensitive point with the Vietnamese government actually because they really want to maintain this Uncle Ho like yeah, personage yeah, like yeah, image yeah. of him and then when they realize yeah he was Uncle Ho but he's also gonna fuck, he's also gonna fuck your sister. <laughs> I mean, I'm kidding. Like, Uncle, Uncle Mal, Ho Mal, got Mal a lot of hoes, like man. <laughs> oh, my God. These are all jokes, people. Um, uh, but, yeah, uh, so just, just know that this is, you know. All right, this but that's a very much. big thing with, with communists that keep doing that. I read up, up on how many puritanical Marxists really wanted to hide just how batshit wild uh, our boy was uh, throughout his uh, youth, et cetera, et cetera, because, oh, my God, it's going to negatively impact the movement. And I can agree to an extent extent in that insanely puritanical and conservative social sphere in 
in which, uh, you know, those movements were trying to peek their cute little heads out of the bushes through. But funny enough, now there's a podcast where two dudes are talking about all this wild shit in a very positive way because mm-hmm. modern generations fucking, uh, fucking roll with it. You know, I, I, I want to, okay, for some people, it's going to be completely relatable through uh, the, the the readings and the academic stuff, et cetera, et cetera, and through class consciousness, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm going to say. I don't have to spend like five minutes saying it. But to other people, you need to kind of connect to this motherfucker. And some guy's going to say, Ben, Lenin lifted? I fucking love lifting. Oh, my God. Maybe I should read this <laughs> motherfucker. Or or other guys like, man, I love fucking partying. I thought communism <laughs> is this fucking serious shit. What? The, 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 the writer fucking went clubbing every night? What the fuck? You know, that really will influence some people. So when, you, when you're talking to the type of person, to different types of people at some point in your life, and you're introducing them to these sorts of ideologies, maybe also that... Uh, aspect of the fact that all these people were human, I keep repeating mm. myself, but it's important, that should be introduced to them, because when we think of, correct me if I'm wrong, Hakim, but when I think of most historical figures, all the time, I'm only thinking of like the seven events that have defined their life and that they yeah. did. Okay, this battle, uh, this law that was passed, uh, first, second marriage, and then I'm talking, for example, about a king, and uh, who the pr- main prince was who's going to take over, and now he had to kill one of his kids because the kid won to overthrow him, blah, blah, blah. That's like seven events. And yet, in between those seven events, depending on the time, there's either 30 mm. years or 80 or 110 mm-hmm. years that nobody fucking thinks about except professional historians, obviously. But it's, it's, I wouldn't say equally, but almost as equally as important as the key events which did define their lives. Yeah, that's why I know really like... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. That's why I really like the the book I mentioned earlier, Reminiscences of Lenin, because it's it really is it's a human biography where you learn about him as a human. But you don't learn just like the politics around. Like you learn about how he would come in. Um, it, what a poor poor guy. He was in his early twenties and he had already lost all his hair, basically. And that was Krupskaya's first impression of him. She was like, "Who's this young bald guy?" Yeah, bald guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and you know that the first impression was, "Who's this young bald guy?" And then he sat in a, in a small reading circle uh, of Marx, and everybody there had only read uh, what's it called um the the manifesto at that point. Oh, shit. And Marx uh, and and uh, Lenin had uh, he's read like the Grundrisse, he's read um Capital. He, you know he's done he's done the homework, right? Yeah. And he comes, he just blows them all out of the water and that's i think the point where you know like uh, you see you can feel like krupskaya that's where the attraction began because she's like oh my <laughs> this guy this guy knows his stuff his bald head is looking extra shiny he, he, today <laughs> does only have guns on his uh, arms but his brain is pretty muscular too yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. lots of ribs um, on that imagine how ribs oh my <laughs> okay, copy, okay copy, I'm, copy. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry i'm really sorry but yeah by the way, like we'll do, I think we should do an episode on that as well. Just the on the the women Cox. of the Bolshevik Revolution. No, 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 on the women of the Bolshevik Revolution. Yes, there are absolutely. some absolute, absolute, absolute chads or chadettes. I don't know what to say, but absolute amazing uh, people. Kripsky as well, uh, Kolontais, and there's so many of them. Okay, I, I, if if you would allow me, I would like please, to talk sir, about. Please, please go on. About my my absolute favorite favorite um, uh, person. Uh, like Soviet veteran, uh, which is a woman that goes by the name Maria Oktyabrskaya, which everybody's supposed to buy. Yeah, my second I know that in Russian it's supposed to be on, emphasis on the middle syllable, so it's Oktyabrskaya. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, no, 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 I know no, which no, one's no, your no, favorite. No, 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 no. I'm saying she's my second favorite because uh, I'll tell my, my favorite female I know, I know, uh, I know. Red Army. But yeah, go on, go on. Uh, Maria uh, Oktyabrskaya. And she is, um, she, there's a lot of uh, uh, like um, epicness around her life. Basically, I'm, this is one of those things where I'm surprised that they haven't made a movie. You know, actually, um, to such a point that there's a, a website called Rejected Princesses, uh, which is supposed to be like about... Um, People, women who should have been Disney princesses, but they were like nobody was actually took them up, so uh, rejected. Hence, rejected princesses. Um, now, this absolute uh, like absolute ch- Chad, basically, what she did is um, she was uh, married to a, um, uh, a Soviet um, uh, soldier, basically uh, at the time, and she herself, by the way, was no uh, like a stranger to this stuff. She personally practiced um, uh, what's it called. Um, marksmanship and uh, other military stuff um so she was very very confident was very herself, popular was... in the beginning of the soviet union because that was absolutely forbidden for women i mean it was forbidden for yeah. them to go to school let alone fucking hold a rifle and it was actually encouraged. yeah of course Sorry to we're talking about yeah. uh, from sars to to the soviet because once the soviet union came in they opened up all these rights and whatever and she was one of the first people to start taking this stuff up um and she took basically her life uh, as being related to the military she took it very seriously anyways um she after the world war uh, two started basically um the war happens and uh, somewhere around um, uh, 1981, uh, no, 1981, sorry, 1941, uh, excuse me, um, her husband dies uh, in fighting in Kiev or so, uh, somewhere around there. He, fighting the Nazis, he dies. Uh, and she, it takes a little while for the news to reach her, but it, it, the news gets to her. Um, the second the news gets to her, this woman is absolutely enraged, fuming, fuming. So immediately she compiles all her life savings, everything that she has, um, and uh, she's like, okay, I want to go and I want to buy a tank. <laughs> I'm going to go buy a tank. So she pulls all her money together and it's slightly underneath how much it is required. So she starts doing like embroidery and other shit. She does like odd jobs here and there until to get off, uh, get over the, the um, what's it called? The, the 50,000 ruble mark or whatever it was uh, to, to uh, get a... Um, uh, to 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 be able to uh, buy a, a tank. So basically, she uh, saves up. I think for over over like two minutes, uh, two months, she saves up uh, her money, and then she sends a a letter to the Kremlin. Right? She she sends it not only to the Kremlin. She sends it addressed to Stalin. And she specifically says, she's like, oh, I can quote the letter. Actually, she says, Dear Joseph Vissarionovich, which was um, his uh, middle name uh, and patronymic, uh, yeah. Uh, she's, she writes, In the battles for the motherland, my husband, Regimental Commissar Ilya Fedovich Oktyabrsky, died. For his death, for the death of Soviet people tortured by fascist barbarians, I want to take revenge on the fascist dogs for which I contributed all my personal savings to the state bank to build a tank. 50,000 rubles. I ask you to name the tank Combat Girlfriend. <laughs> fight yeah. the girlfriend, yeah. as, it, as it's uh, translated in English and send me to the front as the driver of this tank. I have the speciality of a driver. I have an excellent command of a machine gun. I am a Voroshilov shooter, which is like a, a, a like a badge, basically, you can get. And then she writes her name, like Maria Oktyabrskaya. Immediately afterwards, Stalin, he reads this letter, and he answers her, and he sends her. He says, thank you, Maria Vasilovna, for your concern for the armored forces of the Red Army. Your wish will be granted. Please accept my uh, regards, Supreme Commander Joseph Stalin. And he sends her, he orders the construction of a tank for her, and it specifically has on the turret, uh, fighting girlfriend painted on it, right? Uh, and at first, uh, the, the, the people, the people in her platoon or unit, basically, um, 
they were like, uh, oh, who's this lady? Like, this is like a PR stunt, right? Uh, and then afterwards, they realize this woman gets in the tank and she starts she starts demolishing the, yeah. the, these Nazis. She absolutely fuck. She wipes the floors with them. This is. Do you want to know how amazing this woman is? In an encirclement, her her uh, tank. Um, what's it called? Uh, the treads get hit and they dislodge. In the middle of encirclement, as she's being fired upon, she gets out of the tank and starts repairing the tank. The tank treads, and then she fixes it and gets in, and it starts. It it she goes back into the fight. Yeah. yeah, and be, and do you know what's most amazing about her is that there's not one story of her doing this. She's done this like a dozen times, where in the middle of like severe fighting, she gets out and she jumps in. Uh, she, she gets out, she f- fixes everything, and then she jumps back into the um, what's it called? Um, uh, into the uh, the tank. Um, to the point that, by the way, uh, there's one really quote, uh, nice quote. Uh, she would write letters uh, to to her family and to her sister. And one letter uh, that she wrote to her sis- uh, sister, this was, I think, after the first battle, I think she went in. Um, mm-hmm. She wrote in, in the letters, like, I've had my baptism of fire. I beat the bastards, meaning like she, this was one of the victories that they had. She's like, sometimes I'm so angry, I can't even breathe. I'm like this is the this is the this is the attitude we're supposed to have towards fascists. By the way, this is the the, the appropriate socialist and proletarian attitude. You're not. This is not. These are not people you're supposed to be civil towards. These are not people you're supposed to. You're supposed Fuck to be that. so angry at them that you can't fucking breathe. That's the. Anyways, um. By the way, the the thing I mentioned about the rejected princesses thing, which is very cute. They do like little drawings. It's a, a drawing of her, and she has like an anthropomorphic tank, like it has eyes and a face, like cars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would definitely watch this fucking movie. But uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, sadly, she did not. Survived to see the end of the war. She died in 1944, uh, roughly a, a a year and like two months, I think, before a uh, complete victory. Um, she was uh, one of the times also her uh, tank was hit. She jumped out and then she started uh, what's it called um, re- doing repairs in which uh, some explosive uh, went off and the shrapnel shrap- shrapnel went and hit her in the head. It didn't kill her, but it made her very uh, like basically uh, put her in a very critical condition. Uh, she was sent uh, to a hospital, um, I think, at the time uh, in Smolensk. Um, and uh, she was getting medical care, and she was in a coma for a couple months. She gets out of the coma, and the people of her, what's called, platoon, they, they all send their regards and everything, and they would call her mother, which I think is very cute, because she was older than most of them, actually. Yeah, she was 35 I think she was like 38. Yeah, 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 she was in her 30s, yeah. um, which, after, like, at how much of a chad? Like, I know, there's there are, like, 20-year-old men, or, like, men, like adult men that couldn't do with this woman. Uh, like, the amount of uh, conviction, right, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing uh, how... how um, uh, driven she was the amount of personality um, anyways, dude it's absolutely yeah. wild man but you know um she uh, eventually she died she passed away in in march of, of uh, 1944 um and uh, she got uh, also i think she was the first woman to get the hero of the soviet union um award which was the highest award uh, yeah. military award that the soviet union had uh, don't quote me at that i'm not sure if she was the first woman but she was one of the first basically um oh no she was yeah she was the first woman to to, to be awarded um, not only this, by the way, there's a nice little thing, uh, like a bow to the story. Her tank, fighting girlfriend, was actually um, the crew that worked on it. They continued using the tank and they fought with it. And it was part of the storming of Berlin. And it was uh, one of the tanks that was present during complete victory. Which Her is, spirit uh, kept like, yeah. fucking driving it right over Nazi scum bodies. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. God rest her soul, fucking machine. Absolutely. Like the the amount of uh, a dry, uh, like the amount of drive, and just the, the the conviction of this woman is is incredibly impressive. And it's the sort of thing that uh, I don't think we understand exactly how uh, horrible the war was, especially for the Soviet people. And she kind of kind of encapsulates that a lot. I think it's it's absolutely amazing. And people like as we should, as we absolutely should remember the Holocaust, which. Uh, 
Jews experience, which we absolutely should mm. because they were the yeah. most targeted and their extermination was the most systematic and most disgusting. But people tend to forget just how big and still uh, present the trauma is of the Soviet experience in World War II. There is not a single family that has not lost one, two, three members mm. uh, in that war. And that that scarring will will never go away. And it does mm. uh, sometimes, fortunately, sometimes, unfortunately, uh, influence uh, even political thought to this day, just like to an extent it does uh, in other uh, places around the world which have experienced uh, similar suffering at the hand of the of the fascists. But it's, it's sometimes very sad to see uh, I mean, it's a bit of a side point, but it is uh, sometimes sad to see the using the suffering of, of Soviet communists, very important to state, in the Red Army and the civilian population of the Soviet Union, which has suffered at that time for uh, modern political goals. Uh, yes, sometimes it makes sense, but most of the time it is very transparent on just how... Um, Political it is, but political in the sense of uh, the state trying to use the glory of uh, its past glory, which is not its, it's of the people that fought in order to inspire uh, something today. And uh, and it happens all over the world, but it's it's kind of it, the, the tumor of suffering yeah. tends to exactly manifest like itself in reactionary mentality. I mean, it's so disgusting when you hear people in Israel, for example, using the example of the suffering that sometimes even they themselves experienced or of their grandparents as an argument that they now should be as strong as a brick that goes through the window of uh, any potential oppressor uh, currently seen in the eyes of the Palestinian. I think every single person that died in that war, be it uh, uh, Russian, Ukrainian, Jew, Serb, uh, whatever whatever the fuck, Frenchman, uh, uh, would be disgusted by seeing their name used, uh, used for such mentality and such modern reactionary barbarism. But I'm going too much in a fucking tangent. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, uh, brilliant story of this, of this fucking absolute I, I keep using the word but that's a unit man your mm, husband yeah. dies you get fucking pissed off you get money you you text the motherfucking uh triple double g yo motherfucker, the, the, the big boss <laughs> yeah and he's like big give daddy, me a tank i'll buy the tank okay i'll yeah. buy the tank give me a motherfucking tank i want to go uh fuck these motherfuckers up and then you actually stay up to your word and you actually go and then you die doing something that you felt was your calling incredible absolutely yeah. I think there's one more one more amazing lady that we can talk of the era maybe you can introduce her uh, I would love to I am uh, uh, a massive fan of a lady called uh, Lyudmila Pavlichenko maybe people have heard a bit more about her because she was publicized here and there in the west uh, to an extent uh, but I would just uh, she had a similar life experience uh, to that of the of the previous Red Army soldier that we talked about. Uh, she was, uh, uh, she practiced, uh, 
using a firearm as a sport before the war. And once she got into the war, her inspired hatred towards uh, the fascist encirclement of uh, both her part of the Soviet Union and the Soviet Union in general inspired her to become uh, the most lethal sniper in the history of humanity. Uh, when uh, she survived, thankfully, the war, but during the war, after achieving incredible uh, success, she was sent over to the United States, which even at that time was extremely sexist, while the Soviet Union, with all its problems, yes, was trying to push forward a, uh, a kind of ideological merger with... Uh, uh, with you know the libera the women's liberation movement, uh, she was she was sent there to kind of inspire the American man who is so proud of his masculinity. Yet there is a woman there telling him that he needs to join this righteous war against fascism, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And when she went to the states to give speeches and so on in the very later parts of the war in '43, uh, she met the first lady of uh, of the United States at the time who asked her, oh, you're the, you're the sniper girl. Uh, how many men have you killed? Very directly. To which, uh, and this is a cult classic, probably most of our mm. listeners have heard it, but I'll still say it. She said, men, none. Fascists, 309. That, to me, My is God. a definition of a fucking mad chills. lad. Absolute, Absolute chad, yeah. chills. But we need to understand... While, uh, like, she had incredible bravery, but her hatred of the fascist made her exceptionally brutal. Uh, I mean, I would, uh, like, she would intentionally blow Germans' legs off and yeah, leave them in the should. field for the enemy to come and try and pick up their wounded. And now you would think, okay, she'll kill the both of them. No, then she would blow off the legs of those two motherfuckers and their limbs and their arms. And at one point, people say, like, fellow soldiers or the, the people with the binoculars that would help her find, mm -hmm. uh, you know, targets, that a whole field of screaming Germans run mm. red in color and hellish in sound. So I yeah. guess, I don't know, don't fuck with a woman is a lesson I always mm. will remember, but <laughs> don't fuck with a communist woman, that's for yeah. sure. Oh man, hell hath no fury, that's what, <laughs> what was I going to say? There's a couple of points about her that I want, just like from interesting episodes from her life. Um, number one, um, she became so famous, not only international, but she became so famous to um, uh, the Germans that they knew her by name. Um, even to the point, uh, funnily enough, that um, apparently, by the way, her actual nickname was the Russian bitch from hell. That's the, yeah, the German nickname yeah, for her, yeah. right? Which is very classic. Lady Death um, uh, in the Soviet yeah. Union, but for, yeah, yeah classic. Uh, yeah, but there are episodes where there are, uh, they would get loudspeakers, like they would have a loudspeaker, and a Nazi officer would be like, Ludmilla, um, like, uh, abandon the Soviet cause and abandon your communist, uh, like your comrades and all that, and come jo uh, join us, we'll give you chocolate. That's what they, they would say. By the way, not only this, they would talk to her in the wrong language. They would talk to her in with some badly translated Ukrainian, thinking she was Ukrainian. She was actually ethnically Russian, if I remember correctly. Um, and by the way, she would shoot the guy that would ask, that would offer her chocolate. <laughs> Come pick, pick chocolate up from his fucking dead corpse, yeah. that pussy ass. Yeah, bitch. exactly. Exactly. Not only that, um, there's one point uh, where basically she was really high up on a tree 
uh, and she was doing her job and sniping, and uh, she became a target, right? Uh, and the guy, uh, basically the other sniper, he shot at her. He missed, but she was like, like I can't, I have to do something. So she feigned getting hit. She pretended to be hit, and she fell like three or four meters from like the height of this tree onto the floor, and basically just stood still there at, in the middle of heavy snow until it snowed completely on top of her. She stayed there for 10 hours or something, Complete like uh, uh, with uh, as snow was falling on her, and then afterwards, when you know, like uh, the entire battle died down, nobody was gonna go and check on her to see if she's actually dead because they shot her and she fell out of the tree, so they assumed that she died. Um, and then she waited basically these ten hours in the middle of the snow, and then she crawled away. That's like the the amount, and she was very regularly like behind uh, what's it called um, uh, behind enemy lines. Uh, she, she was absolutely like, incredibly heroic. Incredible the amount of um, conviction again in, in these people, and this is I think just like a, a microcosm of all the uh, people who served uh, in the Red Army. Of course, when you see your entire like villages and cities and stuff burned, you'd of course react in this way as well. Um, but uh, yeah, absolutely amazing person. There's so many other interesting stories about it. There's a movie actually uh, made about her. I think it's called Sevastopol. Um, yeah, it was yeah. recently made. It's a joint Russian-Ukrainian uh, production. Also goes into this aspect of when she goes into the U.S. and all that kind of stuff. Um, very, very interesting movie. Highly recommended. Absolutely incredible life. We we have notes here, and, <laughs> and I want to know. Hakim for some reason wrote "Seaman Hitler" as one of the points. <laughs> so uh, okay, let's end you. on a funny note. What okay. the fuck is a Seaman Hitler? <laughs> Okay, this is uh, this is turned into like the World War Two, you know, like uh, veteran uh, appreciation episode. But all right, sure. So uh, there were a couple of people who served in the Red Army at the time that had the names of the you know of the, of the top leadership of the Nazi regime. So there was a bunch of uh, Müllers and Görings and and uh, Himmlers, and uh, of course there was a few Hitlers. Uh, there was one guy um, named <laughs> oh <my> very <laughs> very unfortunately his name was Semyon. Semyon Hitler, um, because in Russian the, the that letter is not an H. Oh, yeah, good. Um, yeah, but when you when you write his name out in English, people would write Seaman Hitler. <laughs> that's what they would write. <laughs> so that's how it became Poor known. Guy. Oh my God, it's yeah. awful. He was he was a uh, he was a um, what's it called a. Uh, Soviet uh, uh, a Red Army soldier, and he was of Jewish origin, by the way, which makes it even more uh, oh, that's interesting. Hilarious. But what makes him especially interesting is that this guy was incredibly brave. He was incredibly... Um, uh, several times he was uh, in, in situations where his entire platoon was uh, surrounded and wounded, and this absolute mad lad, he would take a, a uh, machine gun, um, like one of those mounted machine guns, he would carry it into some like uh, advantageous position while he's surrounded by soldiers, and he would keep firing so his uh, his his platoon would get away, uh, would be able to escape, right? And he would keep firing until he completely ran out of ammunition, and then afterwards he tried to crawl away. Um, and uh, he got a uh, medal for bravery because in one of these episodes he managed to kill a hundred German soldiers. Jesus. Um, as his platoon was escaping, um, absolute uh, hero. Um, and then as for this as well, he uh, uh, got I think um, he got another medal as well. But because of his name at the time, it reached actually a really high level because they're like, what are the optics of giving a guy yeah, named Hitler one of our <laughs> one of our top uh, <laughs> one of our top uh, what's it called? Um, well, I, I would spin it in so many ways. We got our own Hitler, and he's better, and he's Jewish, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, I, I would exactly. Do so many right. things with this. Follow follow the real Hitler and then posters with Seaman Hitler. 
It's, it's, I could do so many fucking things. But you know what's very interesting is eventually um, they uh, what's it called? They he was granted the um, the uh, what's it called the award and the award document. Of course, there's like documentation of all of them. And to quote, wounded comrade Hitler with his machine gun remained alone among the enemy, but he he did not lose his head, but fired until he spent all his ammunition and then at a distance of ten kilometers, crawling among the enemy with a machine gun, returned to his unit. That's the official, like, <laughs> I love the films like Comrade Hitler. But yeah, um, this was uh, several, uh, he uh, repeated these, these feats several times. Uh, he uh, also, um, he uh, participated in the defense of Odessa, uh, and he died in that in 1942, uh, in the Battle for Sevastopol, which was an incredibly heroic feat of, of, uh, of World War II history that is never spoken of. By the way, side note, the Soviet uh, uh, aspect, the Eastern Front, is never spoken about, especially in the West. You never hear about it, despite the fact that 9 out of 10 German soldiers were killed on the Eastern Front. All major offensives and all major blows to the uh, Nazi war machine were committed committed uh, on the Eastern Front. Without the Soviets, there is no victory, right? You could you could argue that without the Americans and British, there would have been a Soviet victory. It would have just taken a bit longer. Without the Soviets, there would have been no victory at all. Um, so it's just, yeah, um, of course, ideological uh, bullshit. That's why that's why that happens. But anyways, side note, um, he passed away in this, uh, but he had relatives, of course, and they also had the, the name Gitler. Uh, or Hitler, uh, and then afterwards they changed it. They changed it to to Hitlev or Gitlev, um, and I believe some of his um, like descendants are like still uh, alive. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the 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 story uh, of the heroic uh, comrade Seaman Hitler. Um, may his memory uh, be glorified. <laughs> Absolutely, and may we have a lot more Hitlers like him in the future, and not uh... inshallah. That pussy ass bitch that blew his brains out in a bunker next to his cousin that he fucked. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Oh man. All right. I think very quick fire round. Quick fire round. Um, Mao had a workout routine that the that the CIA studied. I'm not going to go through the workout routine, but it's a very interesting. You should read it. Um, he um, he wrote it when he was 24 years old, and it has like he breaks it up into like five chapters. Each chapter has like 27 points or something. Um, very interesting. Um, very Eastern, if I can put it that way. It's a very Chinese approach of the era to to how he writes it. And by the way, do you want to know the best part? Mm-hmm. Of his, um, what's it called? Uh, he finishes his workouts, which are very interesting. Workout the cookbook. last two things, mm-hmm. yeah. The last thing that he does is he dances, <laughs> and then afterwards he does breathing exercises, and that's how he finishes his workouts. He has his entire workout plan, and after each one, he, he has a bit of a dance. That, yeah, yeah, honestly. Because dancing is, but you need good music. And back then, did, did, did they have gramophones or players? Or he would need somebody to actually play, or people dance to I, silence, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But or perfect maybe he would just sing to himself. But yeah, and yeah, uh, sing he published, to yourself. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah he, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he pu- he published his workout routine. Um, I think like four or five months before the October Revolution. Just so you know, like how interesting that is. That's number one. Number two, the CIA officially studied it. There's an annotated CIA version of his workout routine. Um, yeah, and and then finally the other thing that we were gonna go into, but the episode has gone long, uh, gone on long enough, which was the assassination attempts on on Castro, which are so interesting that I think well, we could actually do a, a, a proper an episode. episode on them. That's yeah, a proper yeah, on their episode. Own. And now to finish off with, I think the a very untold uh, side of of, of uh, Soviet history um, for the people listening. I think this is this is gonna really shake your 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 faith uh, in Soviet <laughs> Union. Um, uh, let, it to is, quote, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, go, go, go. (laughs) This is from the book uh, Reefer Madness, A History of Marijuana. 
they say that the weed grown in the USSR under Stalin was some of the most potent ever known to man. Under the <laughs> guidance of Trofim Lysenko, Stalin assembled a crack team of growers whose marijuana was known for its intense body high and clarifying mental effects. In his personal diaries, Nikolai Bukharin writes, Joseph Stalin came to me at one night as I was struggling to finish the final edit of an issue of Pravda. He handed me an ounce of marijuana that reeked of skunk. The smell alone was enough to make me tremble. Stalin says, this is a gift from Lysenko and I. And left almost immediately. I smoked that weed and I was never the same. <laughs> so, Stalin passes the boof. What do you do? <laughs> Stalin passes the boof. What do you do? Yeah, um, I think uh, we can leave you. You know with what that I say when note. Stalin passes the boof? <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, smoke and listen to some deprogram, bro. Yeah, boy, let's get dialectical. <laughs> All right then. And with that said. Uh, this has been a hopefully fun episode for you guys. We're going to get back to more serious programming, but uh, we're trying to keep it, uh, you know, interesting. Blend things up. Blend things up. That's not fuck. Shake things up. That's what Americans say. Fuck that. Yeah. Anyway, podcast that <laughs> can never be too serious. Anyways, with all that said, this has been the program. Oh, fuck. I'm supposed to talk, right? <laughs> I'm yeah, making... when you say the program, you say it's you. Yeah, go on, go on. <laughs> Uh, you just let them know. It's a shit show. They know. They know already. Yes, I'm Hakeem, and you are. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, my name, my name, my name, Timmy. Okay, sorry, oh, that was horrible. I am, I am Yugovnik. I don't know why that was the first thing that I heard of, uh, that I thought of. Maybe my alternative uh, my, ego is Timmy from South Park. My, my, but yeah. my boomer ass would have would have sounded, said the my, my name is Jeff thing, but that's too that's too <laughs> stale of me. It is so bad. But uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, to to sign off. Uh, be more of a semen Hitler than an adult. Bye-bye.